we welcome everyone here today. Welcome, church. It's exciting to stand before you. I, I'm always humbled every time I stand before this pulpit and before this congregation. My name is Matt Malik. I'm the lead pastor here at Refuge, and we love serving the purpose of a God for our generation. And, and so happy Father's Day to all the dads. You know, uh, being a father is, is a great thing. It's a challenging thing as well, but uh, we certainly want to wish every father of fathers happy Father's Day. Let's join our faith together as we pray. Thank you, Father. Father, we thank you for the ministry of your word today. Father, let your name be honored from generation to generation. Because you alone are worthy of all glory and praise. Father, help me to articulate what's in your heart today to communicate revelation and truth to this body of believers. Lord, we thank you that it's your word that brings liberty. It's your word that establishes freedom and a foundation in our lives that we can live upon. Father, we just commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, it is great again to be here and, and just want to, we're addressing core values, which I think is so central to what we do and how we act, how we react, and how we serve the purpose of God for this generation. When we talk about fatherhood, I, I believe and we're going to talk about that a little bit today as well as this core value. And we are a family that will always forgive. And you can write that down if you're taking notes. The title of this message, we are a family that will always forgive. Realize that fatherhood is depicted in the character of God. In the character of God the Father. His very attributes reveal what true fatherhood really is. And I believe uh, that uh, understanding that is, is significant and important to any dad. Um, God was referred to as our father 13 times in the Old Testament and a lot more in the New Testament. In fact, uh, Jesus referred to God as his father and our father over 100 times. And we see it throughout the New Testament. So there's actually, and I have it written down here, there's actually 1,622 Bible verses for the word father. So that's pretty significant when you think about the Bible. Uh, it's talking about fatherhood. That's an important thing that we want to talk about today. Um, now, Jesus' frequent use of this title, I believe, brought a new and fresh understanding to our relationship with God. Uh, Jesus referred to God as his father, and he spoke of God as being our father. Uh, this actually infuriated the Jewish believers because they considered it blasphemy to call uh, God father. And now, men, I want to encourage you because you are champions. Uh, you are the people that God's going to use mightily in this earth if you are willing to bring awakening to this generation. And this generation needs a wake-up call. But this generation also needs leaders and fathers that would respond to the call of God and the mandate upon their lives. Now, um, uh, personally for me, uh, Deb, my precious wife, has helped me to excel as a father. And, uh, you know, and I, I know wives, your role is significant to help your husbands excel as a dad. And, um, you know, can I hear an amen from the ladies at least? Okay. 
And the role of the father is significant in this generation, especially in light of what's transpiring in our society today. Uh, fathers and mothers, I, I want to address both of you this morning briefly here. In Proverbs 13, 11, and this I'm addressing also children. There's a generation that curseth their father and doth not bless their mother. And my encouragement to you is let's determine not to be a part of that generation, but to encourage dads to rise up to the challenge that's set before them and moms to rise up to the challenge that's set before them. Because this is a team effort. As dads, we can't do this alone. We need help and support. And maybe there's some that are single dads and you, you seemingly are doing it alone. But know that God, his grace is available to help assist you in the role of parenting. Because it's important that we raise our children in the way that they should go so that when they get old, they won't depart from it. We see that in Proverbs 22, 6. And I believe that that's important and, and knowing that we have a responsibility for raising children in this generation to know God, to follow him, to hear his heart. There's a lot of influences in society today that are trying to undermine the foundation of truth, that are trying and attempting to corrupt the hearts of the youth of our generation. But we as a church need to rise up to make a difference and speak the truth in love, amen? And so... Uh, one of the things and, that we need to do, and, and, and I want you to actually um, consider this for parents here today. Your role as parents isn't necessarily to produce obedience in your children. Your role is to model the obedience that Jesus Christ produces in you. See, as parents, as moms and dads, we are role models to our children. And, and dads, you are a role model. Your kids will look up to you. I believe that the greatest opposition we face is wrong influences that will attempt to shape and mold your children. There's a lot in our culture that is in opposition to a biblical worldview, to what the Bible says when it comes to raising children. And to dads, you know, I, I want to ask you a question. You can think about this in your heart. What does being a father mean to you? What does being a father mean to you? To me, it meant that I could demonstrate the love of the father before my children so that they could see the example of God's love as I demonstrated that in their, before them in their lives. It means an opportunity to demonstrate the father's nature to my children because there's a principle we need to understand that so often children will develop their concept and image of God the Father by how they relate to their earthly father. And so if you're relating to them less than what you need to, uh, that's going to affect your children. And so our heart and commitment is, Lord, help me to represent you and your love before my children. Help me to be that example. And that's a goal. And I want to encourage dads today because uh, statistically they say, and I actually got a, a little text this morning from another pastor and, and it was encouraging me not to beat up on, on dads today. Because sometimes, you know, Mother's Day, we celebrate the moms, we encourage the moms, we build them up. But on Father's Day, the pastor gets up there, you need to do this, you're not, you know, doing your job. And, you know, so 
Fathers tend to get beat up, but I'm not here to beat you up. I'm here to build you up, okay? And to build you up on the word of God so you can step into the role that God's called you to as a father and serving your children and leading your family in the way of God. And so there's a lot I could say about that. Uh, I do have some dad jokes. And I have a, a few of them this morning. I, I thought it would be appropriate to share these since it is Father's Day, so I have permission to do this, okay? Um, did you hear that laughing too loud is illegal in the state of Hawaii? They only permit aloha. <laughs> yeah. Did you hear about the new law in the state of Wisconsin? They have made round bales illegal. It's illegal to have round bales in Wisconsin. Why? Because the cows weren't getting a square meal. Okay? Yeah. I was actually over at a farm where this last summer, we were, they had some plants out there, so we were buying some plants, and I noticed some round bales on, on, in the barnyard by the barn, and, and I talked to the lady and I said, haven't you got the news? They made these round bales illegal. And she said, what, really? And she got a little nervous. And then I said, because the cows aren't getting a square meal. And she just busted out laughing. She called the husband over there and told, tell him that joke. <laughs> so she just thought that was hilarious. But the look on her face, like, I'm doing something illegal. <laughs> it was hilarious. Um, question, what do you call a rude cow? Beef jerky, of course. <laughs> okay. Now this one I, I think my wife will, will agree with. Oh, that really didn't go over. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm so good at sleeping that I can do it with, with my eyes closed. Okay, that's, that's, a good, that's a good dad joke right there. Um, and I used to hate facial hair, but then it grew on me. Okay. You know, all the guys with beards and mustaches. Uh, at first, I thought my chiropractor wasn't any good. But now I stand corrected. Yeah, okay. All right, that's a couple more. And this is true. A toddler grandson is refusing to nap. He's guilty of, a risk of resisting arrest, okay? Yeah, guilty of resisting arrest. And then I ordered a chicken and an egg online. I'll let you know what comes first, okay? And then a couple more. What's the easiest way to burn a thousand calories? Leave the pizza in the oven. Okay. And then the final one for the day is what does a baby computer call its father? Data. Yeah. All right. Okay. Well, we are a family that will always forgive. So forgive me if those didn't appeal to you. Um, last week, as, as I said, we began a series on our core values as a church family. And each week we're going to be featuring a different core family, a core value of refuge. And we have actually 12 core values that we embrace as a church in doing life together. And so our vision statement at Refuge is, at Refuge we believe that all people matter to God. This is a place where we grow while finding authentic hope, purpose and love through Jesus. And our mission is that we are a place that welcomes all people. 
equipping them to grow in faith through God's word. We create engaging environments where people discover their purpose, resulting in a life-changing encounter with Jesus. We take his message of love and hope to our community and beyond. And so what are core values? A core value really is a, it's a principle. They're principles that guide an organization's internal conduct, behavior, and actions, as well as the relationship and how we uh, operate and present ourselves to the community and to the world around us. Core values can help people know what is right from wrong. And as a church, you need to know the core values that make up the DNA of our church that I believe that God has given to us. And you will find that most successful organizations or companies have a set of core values that govern them. And at Refuge, we base our core values on biblical truth. And last week, our first core value uh, we talked about was we are a people who cannot be broken. And Bishop Gary McIntosh, our overseer, came and he ministered that message. What a wonderful uh, word that he pro- uh, proclaimed to this body. We encourage you to look at, look at that online if you haven't had opportunity at this point if we're not able to be here. Uh, it's understanding that we are a people collectively when in unity that cannot be broken. People may enter these doors broken, but they can find healing and wholeness. And together as a people, we are people that cannot be broken because God is our refuge, he is our strength and help in time of need. Today, as we focus on the second core value, we are a family that will always forgive. There's two parts of, or two phrases in this particular core value. The first is we are a family. And I, I don't think we want to necessarily understate that truth because God designed the church to be a family environment, a place for families, to be a place that is a family for you that you can connect to. Even though you may not be related by blood, there's a relation, there's a connection by the Spirit because we've been called to serve the, pur- the purpose of God and the plan of God that he's given us as a church body. Um, Every family, I believe, is challenged with dysfunction, with situations and conflicts that requires forgiveness. And so that's what we're gonna address is this thing called forgiveness. Forgiveness is actually central to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Without forgiveness, we would all be hopeless and, and, and desperately lost in this world. We'd be without hope. We... Turn, let's look at Luke chapter 15. We're going to take a look at the, a few verses in relation to the prodigal son. Uh, and we call this story in Luke 15 the parable of the prodigal son. Prodigal means wasteful, and, but it could also be called the parable of the loving father because we see the demonstration of the father in this parable extending forgiveness to his wayward son. And it actually emphasizes the grace of the father more than it does the sinfulness of the son. So Luke 15, we'll start at verse 20. And it reads, and he arose and came to his father. This was after he was away. He had received his inheritance. He went and spent it foolishly and worldly ways. And he's left broke, impoverished, 
and feeding swine and eating what the pigs are being fed. And so he was in a pretty desperate situation. And so it goes on to say, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced and kissed him. It's interesting because he saw his son and he began to run towards him. And I, I can't imagine what the son was thinking at that moment. Uh, is he coming to beat me up? Uh, or is he coming to embrace me? And the scripture says, felt compassion, ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robes and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. Verse 24, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. So we see here that there's this beautiful picture of reconciliation, restoration. But this would not have occurred unless the father would not have forgiven him. He expressed forgiveness from his heart, reinstating and restoring his son in his rightful place, a place that he, by his own will, had walked away from, rejecting his place in the family, but then realizing the mistake he made, coming back to his father with humble, heartfelt repentance, was restored, was forgiven, and placed where he needed to be. And there was a celebration. And, and there's so much that could be said about this parable, but we want to focus on some other things relating to forgiveness. I have three points for you today. The first point is, and they're easy, these are easy for you to remember, receive forgiveness. Receive forgiveness. We all need forgiveness, so we must all receive forgiveness. Forgiveness is an unnatural act. It is a supernatural act. It is the greatest gift that we can receive and the greatest gift that we can give. It's the greatest gift that we can receive and it's the greatest gift that we can give. Forgiveness may not be easy, but it's necessary if we're gonna live this life in Christ Jesus. We can't live life in Christ Jesus without receiving forgiveness and without giving forgiveness. Forgiveness is extended to everyone, even those who put Jesus to death. And I think it's so interesting that those who crucified Jesus while he's hanging on the cross, in one of his last statements, he declared, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Now, naturally speaking, a man being put to death could have been revengeful. Say, God, get them. Lord, bring fire down. Judge them. But no, he forgave them. And that's significant. And you know, Jesus really is our example. In every way, even how he forgave, we need to follow that example. And know that he gives us the ability to do what he did because we receive his life in his nature. We're born of his spirit so that we can do that. We can forgive as he forgives and love as he loves. 
And we see in Luke 24, 47, it says, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. That's where it started. But to all the nations. So forgiveness of sins is for the nations. It's for every person on this planet. Every person that has been born, will be born. Uh, it's for everyone. In Acts chapter 13, verse 38, it says, let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, speaking of Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Forgiveness of sins is proclaimed. So Jesus offers forgiveness. We receive forgiveness when we embrace Jesus as our Lord and Savior. In Colossians 1, verses 13 and 14, the scripture says, and he, speaking of Jesus, delivered us from the, the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Or this is speaking actually of the father delivering us. In verse 14, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. It's something we have because God delivered us from the dominion, the domain of darkness and translated us, transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. In other words, we're under a new jurisdiction. We're under a new influence. And forgiveness of sins makes that possible. Forgiveness is a concept that Jesus emphasized in his earthly ministry and demonstrated throughout his life and even through his death. It's a supernatural act. It's not natural to forgive, it's divine. And so for us to forgive, we have to operate in the supernatural. And God makes that possible. So point number two, and I kind of talked a little bit about this already. Point number two is release forgiveness. What was point number one? Receive, Receive forgiveness. Point number two, release forgiveness. To forgive is actually to let go of wrongs that have been done to us. Who's wronged you? What have they done? It's letting it go. Now that may be hard, depending on what's happened to you, what wrong they've done to you. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 31 and 32. And we want to look at this in a couple of different versions. The first is the English Standard Version, and it reads, and this is a charge from the Word of God to all of us. It says, let all bitterness, all bitterness, don't reserve any, don't leave any out. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you with all malice. Now, all of those things exist because someone's wronged you. Someone's offended you. Someone sinned against you. And as a result, there's bitterness, there's wrath, there's anger, there's clamor, there's slander, there's malice. All of that begins to work in your life. So we're to put that away. And how, how do we do that? Verse 32 tells us how. The command is to be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Now, when you look at this, it almost seems like this is an impossible request and instruction from the scripture because it's actually telling us to forgive the same way God forgives. How God has forgiven you, that's how you need to forgive others. Is that possible? Yes, it is. Why? Why? Because God has forgiven you. 
the one who has been forgiven has the capacity to forgive those that have wronged them. See, the fact that I've received forgiveness, I can now release forgiveness. Because I'm forgiven, I can now forgive. Okay? We need to understand that concept. And it, it's so clear in the scripture. The, the words there, forgiving one another as God. Other translation says, even as God has forgiven you. In the New Living Translation, Ephesians 4, 31 and 32 reads this way. It says, put out of your life all these things, bad feelings about other people. Oh, oh my. When was the last time you had a bad feeling about someone? Mm. Anger, temper, loud talk, bad talk with hurts, bad talk which hurts other people. You know, talking about them. And, and that, that's in the realm of gossip too, you know. Um, and, and one general rule of thumb I like to use, don't say anything about somebody that you wouldn't be willing to say to them face to face. That's going to end a lot of that talk. If you can't talk to them face to face about what you're telling someone else, then maybe you shouldn't be saying what you're saying, okay, about them. And then, um, then verse 32 says, you must be kind to each other. Think of the other person. Forgive other people just as God forgave you because of Christ's death on the cross. Forgiveness, realize, is not a feeling. It's a choice. It's a choice we choose to forgive or we choose not to forgive. And when you choose not to forgive, you're only damaging yourself. You're hurting yourself. The Greek word for forgiveness is the word aphemi, and it means primarily to send forth, to send away. It denotes to remit or release debts. It's a cancellation of any form of debt, sin or financial debt or some other obligation. Uh, Webster 1828 Dictionary defines forgive as to pardon, to remit as an offense or debt, to overlook an offense, to treat the offender as not guilty. Not guilty, okay? Even though they might be guilty, you're treating them as not guilty because you pardoned them, okay? Um, now, in my own personal journey, there was a time, and, and I don't remember the actual age, if I was like 12, I was probably 12 years old, around that period of time in my life. Um, my mom was having uh, an argument with my dad, and, and so they had this, they, something going on, and so after talking to my dad, my mom comes into the kitchen, and you know she is just ranting and raving about, he's doing this, he's doing that, and, and I'm hearing this stuff, and I'm thinking, I don't want to hear this. And she came up to me, and she says, Matthew, do you know what your father did when you were a young child? And I said, uh, no. <laughs> and she said, she, you know, she said, he said, I wish that he would have just died because he's costing so much in medical expenses. Because I was very sickly, I was hospitalized. I had pneumonia eight times the first five years of my life. So I was in and out of the hospital. At one point, the doctors had given me up to die. So I was costing a lot of medical expense to, to our family. And so she said that. And it's like my heart just broke. I said, what? He would have wished that I had rather died than live? And so immediately there was that rejection 
from my father that impacted my life. And, and even at that time, I didn't know what was happening because I was trying to figure out that statement. I'm saying, that can't be true. That can't be true. I don't believe that. But then it seemed, you know, uh, it, I had received it as truth and fact. And so now how I reacted to that, I said, no, I'm going to prove to my dad that I'm valuable. I, I want to win his favor, so I'm going to do everything I can to please him. And so I made that my effort. And you know, I think that was a noble thing because I, I wanted, when my dad would tell me what to do, I'd do it. I was obedient. I was compliant. I was doing everything to be a good son because I wanted to overcome his attitude and what he had said when I was a lot younger. And, but what I realized is it wasn't that I was supposed to try to please him, which that, that's a good thing, but what was more important is that I, I needed to forgive him. Because I don't know what was going on in his mind at that time and why he said that. I mean, he might have been trying to pay the bills. How are we going to manage this household? And so that statement may have came, come out of his mouth, but yet I needed to forgive him. Now, there was a time in my life where I worked side by side with my dad and he began to see the qualities. He began to see things in me and to celebrate me as his son. And then when he made a personal commitment of his life to Jesus Christ, there was just such a major change in him because he began to love and, and show appreciation, affirmation, and to really embrace his family the way God wanted him to. And so, um, you know, up till his death, you know, when, when I, we began this church here, he started coming right away. He was going to support his son. He was faithful. Uh, faithful in tithing, faithful in supporting this ministry. And, and he one time told me, he said, you know, Matt, I know you're my son, um, but I see you as my spiritual father. He said, because I've received you as my pastor. And when you're up there preaching, I know I'm not just listening to my son. I'm, I'm really hearing from God because God's speaking through you and using you. And, and, you know, that was a big thing because that first year he had a hard time receiving from me because he was saying, that's just my son. That's my boy, you know. And how can he tell me what to do, you know? But there was a shift where he embraced me as his pastor and saying that, no, he's not just my son anymore. He's my pastor. He's my spiritual father. And so there's a, a lot more that can be said there. But I know that, uh, uh, you know, my brother David's here today and, and our dad, uh, after he came to Christ, he just changed so much in his whole focus, his whole heart. He just wanted everything God had for his life. He would read his Bible every day. He would get, be on his face every day praying and just leading by example and just a man of wisdom, a man of common sense, uh, just a, a great leader and example for our family. Amen. I miss that guy. He's been with Jesus for a few years now, but uh, the last statement he said after he said goodbye, you know, some of us kids were gathered around there. He said to, uh, I looked up at uh, my mom and said, I love you, honey. And then he looked up and said, I love you, Jesus. And took out his last, he took his last breath. Wow. 
Yeah, what a way to go, you know? But he, he certainly, and he hung on because uh, mom was getting her hair done. <laughs> and, and they called, they said, uh, your dad's not gonna be with us much longer. You, and I said, well, she's, my mom is getting her hair done. We gotta, and so, but he waited till she got there and uh, said his final goodbye and then went home to be with Jesus, amen. So point number three, and we're gonna share this here with you. Walk in the love of God. See, Jesus commanded us to love as he loves and to forgive as he forgives. In John 13, verses 34 and 35, Scripture says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. Notice again, we're to love as he loves us. We're to love one another. It says that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. You know, the greatest evidence that you're a disciple of Jesus is how well you love others. If you're always putting people down, if you're always critical, if, if you're always derogatory towards people, uh, you're not really a disciple of Jesus. Because if you're loving as he loves, people are going to know you are his disciple. They won't have to question it. You won't have to try to prove you are his disciple. They'll just know it because you're loving one another. You cannot forgive if you don't love. And, um, and, and, and even, let me address this because sometimes people think that I have to forgive this person and I have to just, you know, trust them again. But let me tell you, there's a difference between forgiving somebody and trusting them. Because if someone has wronged you, if they've violated your trust, Yes, you must forgive them. You can forgive them. But that doesn't mean you have to trust them until they prove themselves trustworthy. Because I'm not going to trust just anyone. I'm, I'm going to be careful who I entrust my life with, my well-being with. Um, you know, my, if, I, if somebody needs a car and I say, oh, just use our vehicle and I hand them the car keys and I'll say, here, um, yeah, Rick. Yeah, go ahead. Use my car. Yeah. And uh, you know, whatever you do. And, and it comes back and it's got a dent in the fender and, and it's on E and, and it's like all got McDonald's bags and wrappers and french fries. All. I'm thinking, okay, Rick, what happened? Yeah. <laughs> um, Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> hey, brother. I forgive you, and I would forgive him. I would probably have him uh, do, make the repairs and pay the bill or something, uh, do what you can on that. But I would forgive him. But you know what? I'd have second thoughts if I'd trust him with my vehicle again until I could see that he would, you know, prove himself worthy of that trust. And so keep that in mind when it comes to forgiveness. Because sometimes you forgive, but that doesn't mean you can't be at the same place with that person you were before if trust hasn't been reestablished. Okay, um, here's a quote by Martin Luther King Jr. It says, we must develop and maintain the capacity to forgive. He who is devoid of the power to forgive is devoid of the power to love. Wow, that's a pretty powerful statement. Realize that love and forgiveness work hand in hand. You cannot love without forgiving and you cannot forgive without loving. 
The love of God gives us the capacity and the ability to forgive. Uh, A quote by Tyler Perry. It says, it's not an easy journey to get to a place where you forgive people, but it is such a powerful place because it frees you. In his own story of, of his abuse as a child, he's, he's, in his story, he tells about that, but he was able to forgive. And he is a believer and, and uh, believes in the principle of forgiveness. Holding grudges is unhealthy, emotionally and physically. And not to say that it's going to also make your life miserable uh, and make those around you miserable. Holding a grudge is, is something that most people can do very well, right? But you need to let it go. Hebrews twelve fifteen says, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. See, when you're holding unforgiveness, when you're walking with bitterness, it's not going to just affect your life, it's going to affect those around you. In fact, some people won't even want to be around you anymore because that's all they're going to hear. You know, we had a neighbor, and I'll share the story uh, quickly, growing up on the farm, that somebody shot his dog, and this dog was like his best friend. He was a a single farmer, and, uh, you know, his dog was his best friend. And so he blamed a neighbor down the road that had shot his dog. And so he confronted his neighbor, and he said, his neighbor said, no, I didn't shoot your dog. And he said, well, I believe you did, you're lying to me. But he took that offense to the grave. I can remember visiting him on his deathbed and I asked him if he had forgiven his neighbor and he didn't, he couldn't. He said, I can't, I can't forgive what he did to me. And you know, I, I think about it and I talked to the neighbor and the neighbor said, no, I'm clearly innocent. I did not shoot his dog. So sometimes there's perceived offense, a perceived wrong. You think somebody did you wrong, but they never did. But you believe that in your heart, you're convinced of it. You believe the lie. And so um, that man, you know, I, I trust that in his dying moments, he made his peace with God there, but I would not want to take that into eternity on forgiveness. You cannot take that into eternity on There will always be occasions for offense to take offense. Just don't take offense. Forgiveness can be a hard thing. That's why we need God's help. If you're easily offended, you need to learn to forgive. Some people are just more prone to be offended. You can't afford to hold on to offense because the offense can either be a tombstone or it can be a stepping stone because when you forgive, that offense can be a stepping stone to help you grow in God, to help develop your character, uh, a stepping stone for growth. We grow by dealing with offense. We really do. Forgiveness is not based on a feeling, but as I said, it's based on a choice. It's a decision to forgive. I choose to forgive, not because I feel like it, but I know because of the love of God in me, it demands that I forgive you. It calls me to forgive you. The greatest expression of love is the ability to forgive an offense. The Lord's Prayer, it's interesting. Um, In Matthew 6, 12, it says, and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. See, there we see receiving 
and releasing forgiveness in the Lord's Prayer. In the Lord's Prayer, because it says, give us this day our daily bread, that's a prayer that you are encouraged to pray every day. It's a daily prayer. Daily, you know, you should posture yourself to not only receive forgiveness for the wrongs you've done, but also to release forgiveness to those that may offend you. I, I like to do that in the morning. I'll say, Lord, uh, I thank you for forgiving me for anything I've done that does not please you. And Lord, I choose right now to forgive every offense and every offender uh, that I may encounter today. So that my first mindset, as soon as I'm offended, immediately I'm in the mode of forgiveness. I'm not gonna harbor that. I'm not gonna, oh, you do, you know, I'm not gonna react the way. And, and I'm not perfect on that too. I've, I've, I've probably messed up a few times and my wife would probably testify to that. Amen, right, Deb? Okay. Um, as we bring this to conclusion, and the worship team can come up at this time, we forgive because God forgave us. And we need forgiveness every day of our life. It frees us from the resentment, um, or we forgive because forgiveness frees us from the resentment, which actually becomes self-torture. Resentment is self-torture. We forgive because it's a commandment. We forgive because we have the capacity to forgive because we are born of God. Jesus would never command you to do something that you wouldn't be able to do without his power. His command gives you the authority to fulfill what he tells you to do. When Peter walked on water, it was based on Jesus' command. Jesus said, come. And based on that command, Jesus was able to do something supernatural, walk on water, and he did. You are able to forgive because you respond to his command. A family that will always forgive, what does that mean for us as a church? It means that we see beyond the offense. People offend because they're hurt and they're hurting. Being a family that will always forgive means that we determine in our hearts that we will not take offense because it's so easy to be offended. Psalms 119 verse 165 says, Great peace have they who love your law. Nothing shall offend them or make them stumble. Your love for the word will determine how you handle offense. If you love this word, if you love what God has spoken to us through the Bible, you are less likely to be offended. Notice it says, nothing shall offend them or make them stumble for those who love his word or the law. The law in the Old Testament is in reference to the word of God. What does it mean to be a church, a family that will always forgive? It means we guard our heart from bitterness, from resentment, from envy, and from strife. It's also understanding that forgiveness is an act of strength and a matter of obeying Jesus' command. It also means that we will not only receive forgiveness, but we will release forgiveness. And then also you need to be willing to forgive yourself. Some of you need to forgive yourself today. Matthew 6, 15 says, but if we do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your father forgive you your trespasses. But part of that is you forgiving yourself. 
Maybe you need God's forgiveness today and have not received it. Maybe you need to forgive someone who has wronged you or someone who's close to you has been wronged and you take up a secondhand offense. Maybe you need to forgive yourself. Maybe you feel that God has let you down and you're upset with him. Don't wrongly hold unforgiveness towards him. We can wrongly hold unforgiveness towards others. C.S. Lewis, in a statement, he said, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. Lewis B. Smear says, when we generally forgive, we set a prisoner free and then discover that the prisoner we set free was us. Yes. Now, if this was my last day on this earth, how would I live my day? It's something to think about. The first thing I would do is to make sure that there's no one confessing in my life. The second thing that I would do is to make sure I'm not holding unforgiveness towards anyone, that I make sure I forgive everyone. The third thing I would do is to make sure my insurance policies are paid up so that my family will, <laughs> will be supported, okay? But those are the three things I would do, okay, if this was my last day on earth. Um, and I would just want you to bow your heads right now and close your eyes. And if you're here today and you say, Pastor, I, I know my life is not right with God. I really am not walking with him. I know I have sins in my life and I need forgiveness. You may say, I don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, but I would like to have a personal relationship with him. And maybe today is the day you need to make your peace with God. And if you're here today and say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I know that my life is not right with God and I'm ready and willing to accept him right now as my Lord and Savior. If that's you, I just want you to lift your hand. Nobody's looking around. Just lift your hand right now and we're going to pray for you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Let's stand up together. And it, it may be that you're here and you know there's somebody you need to forgive. But I'm going to lead you all in a prayer and I call this the Believer's Prayer. It's a prayer we pray to place our faith and trust in Jesus that can initiate a personal relationship with him where you can actually receive forgiveness of sins and the gift of eternal life and begin a journey with God and a walk with God. So if you would bow your heads and, and pray this prayer with me. Heavenly Father, I come before you today and I acknowledge that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I repent. I believe you died on the cross for me. I believe you rose from the dead to give me life. Jesus, I put my faith in you. I believe in my heart and I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord. Jesus, be the Lord of my life. I receive you now. Forgive me of my sins and make my life what you want it to be. In Jesus' name, thank you, Father.
And now, Father, we pray for everyone in this auditorium. And we thank you for those, Lord, that are here that may be holding unforgiveness towards someone. Father, let this be the moment where they release forgiveness. In Jesus' name. Let's do this. As we're gonna, I'm going to lead in a general prayer for you to forgive those that may have wronged you. Just repeat after me. Heavenly Father, right now is an act of my will. I choose to forgive every offense and every offender. Those that have wronged me, those that have abused me, those that have taken advantage of me, whatever they have done to hurt me, Lord God, I choose to forgive them now. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Jesus. And this closing song, Come to the Altar, I want you to posture yourself as you come before God to receive and appropriate His forgiveness in your life. Amen. Thank you for being so attentive to the Word this morning. God bless you. Let's worship Him.